Salutations from space, and welcome to the Storytelling Podcast with your host and celestial navigator, Gemini Brett of More Than Astrology. This show honors the ancient tradition of verbal transmission, so each episode will begin with a new telling of an old myth or legend. We will then seek to unveil hidden gems of cosmological, philosophical, astronomical, psychological, astrological, and mystical wisdom woven into the web of these starry stories. We will feature original music and guests from all walks of the way. We are gathered here today to celebrate the marriage of heaven and earth, the as above to the so below, the as without to the so within. Let us begin. We are go for lunch. It was a legendary love, but it could not be, for a celestial weaver must weave. He knew she was right, but how could a boy hear a queen speak of her daughter's responsibilities over the thundering beat of a loving heart? Can we blame her for casting this boy from the heavens to the earth? Reborn as a poor child, unwanted, abandoned in the shallow waters of the rice paddies, but found there by a man of honor, a herdsman, who raised this boy as his own. The boy became great friends with every animal of the herd, especially that ox. Now there was something special about that ox, something celestial, something magical. The boy knew this was true. He got his proof shortly after father passed on from this world to the next. And that ox said, listen up, son. Okay, I'm totally losing it here. The ox is speaking. No, you're not losing it at all. You're about to gain. And when the ox speaks, you listen. Go to the lake, the pristine waters in the mountain glade to the east. You will see the seven weavers of heaven descend from their starry heights to bathe. 
shield your eyes, but not so much that you cannot distinguish the red robes from the rest. Take them and hide with them in the forest. The others will fly away, and you will return the robes to the weaver they belong to. And before she can say a word, you say these. Weaver girl, I love you. Will you marry me? With a laugh, the boy said, how could I? I'm just a cowherd. But the ox assured him he was so much more and reminded him that when the ox speaks, you listen. The boy found his way to the lake that glistens. Blessed that day by the seven lights descending from the celestial above, the weaver girls who disrobed and giggled their way out into the water's embrace. But one was startled when she saw the leg of human form. The boy had been seen. They took their chance to flee and flew above to their celestial abode. Seven descended, but only six returned, for one was left without her rose. Until that is, Somewhat awkward and shy boy came forth from the forest holding her clothes. And before she could speak a word of protest, he said these. Weaver girl, I love you. Will you marry me? Can you imagine her shock when without a second guess, she said yes. It was a small wedding. A cowherder boy, a weaver girl, and one talking ox. One magical ox who spoke a second time that night. That joyous night. But a night that also knew pain. For the ox told the boy that he was to leave this world and find his way to the next. The boy broke down and cried. I love you, ox. Don't leave. I must go. And you must keep my hide. How could I cut this skin from your back, my best friend? Because you must, when the ox speaks, you listen. I'll be watching you. The ox breathed his last. The boy struggled through his tears as he did what he was told brought the hide of his best friend 
and his bride to their new home, which was filled with the essence of true love. And not long after, with the giggles of twins who rolled around on that ox's hide and lived a simple and joyous life for six years. But on the seventh, everything changed. Seven years here is like two in the heavens, you know, so it took that long for the queen to notice that her daughter was not at her wheel. She searched everywhere throughout the great above, but Weaver Girl was not to be found in the celestial realms, so the queen sent her gaze below, and lo and behold, there was her daughter with that very boy she had cast out of the heavenly abode. A queen spoke to a king, a king spoke to two trusted guards of his court, and soon after, Weaver Girl was being pulled back into the sky. She looked down through teary eyes to see her loves cry, her beautiful children imploring their father to help. But what could he do? Cowherder boy was not trained to fly. Then a glow from below, that magical hide of the celestial ox rose from the ground to unfold cowherder boy with a twin in each arm, and they flew into the heavens following Weaver Girl. Just in time, with pain in her heart, the queen pulled the pin from her ear and slashed a tear in the sky from which spilled forth the waters of the silver river that keep Weaver Girl apart from Cowherder Boy and their twins. For a celestial weaver must weave. There's a lot of responsibility to sit as queen on sovereign throne. A queen whose heart beats brightly she faces to dampen that so our world can spin. But one day each year the queen's heart wins. On the seventh day of the seventh moon she whistles down to the below. Her whistle resounds tiny ears. The magpies hear her call. They fly into the heavens and form 
a bridge across that silver river. So cowherder boy and weaver girl can taste the joy of true love's embrace. Salutations from space. Folks, this is Gemini Brett, your friendly astrolonaut of more than astrology. Happy seven sevenths. Happy Chi Shi to you. This is Chinese Valentine's Day, celebrating the love of Weaver Girl and Cowherder Boy, whose love is so true that just one day is enough. May that true love shine on us all this seven sevenths, which in this year of 2015 comes to us on August 20th. And so does this seventh episode of the Storytelling Podcast on seven sevenths. Thank you for joining. And thank you, Masaru Agasa, for your beautiful music. We're going to do things a little differently today. I told this story of Weaver Girl and Cowherder Boy, the great story of the Chi Shi Festival, at the Blooming Heart Festival on Orcas Island on July 5th with my dear friend and cohort, Elijah Parker of Wonderland. And though this won't be the best sound quality given that Elijah and I gave our talk outside during the day of a festival, I think it would be a wonderful gift for us to hear some of the wisdom that Elijah shared that day about the Magpie Bridge. Take a moment and put your tongue to the roof of your mouth. Breathe again. As you continue to bring your breath deeper into your belly, that tongue to the roof of your mouth is called the magpie bridge. In internal alchemy, it is designed to bridge the head and the heart. As we breathe in through this microcosmic orbit all the way down to our bellies. The truth of separation is discernment. So the Magpie Bridge is designed as an evolutionary impulse, a choice for us to reach up to heaven, to reconnect this ancient connection that we had from the womb, from before our separation, while we receive the involution, the insight, the divine guidance down into our bodies, we choose to create that bridge. The discernment is how do we use that bridge, that tool, that gift that we have of being separate? How do we use our mouth? What we speak and what we eat, what we share and what we breathe in, 
there are these important tools and locks in our body that help us maintain energy, this internal alchemy within our being. So when we speak, speak as if you're amplified and everyone can hear you, because they can. Hmm. Whether physically or not, we hear each other's dishonesty, we hear each other's pain, we hear each other's lies, we hear each other's hatred. So sometimes we choose to bring our hearts in alignment with this magpie bridge. Choose to restrain from those dishonoring thought forms. Choose to breathe in only that eternal love and light from every pore of our being. Every story, every culture, every every myth, every religion seems to have this moment, this fall from grace, this slice across the heavens when we were separated from our true love, from the beloved, from that unity. And that fall from grace, as the divine love pours her tears into Gaia to create the rivers and waters of this blessed planet, as our beings were shattered into, a t- into thousands of diamonds, each unique, and yet each reflecting that unified whole that we once were and always will be. The honorable gift to stand as pillars of a temple, to look across the chasm at one another. Here, these two lovers hold the eternal two sides of the universe, of the cosms in between them. This wound, this separation is not bad, is not a curse. It's an opportunity to reach back across the chasm of our hearts and our heads, to return the lights inside, to feel that divine union within our bodies, within our breath, and training our brain waves and our heartbeat to a simple, slow pulse of harmony and truth. This is our magpie bridge, and we have it every day. The final thing is that as we cultivate and create a fertile container by training our bodies and our minds and our hearts to stand strong yet relaxed, a lucid surrender, we don't know when grace will fall upon us. We don't know when that miraculous moment that we pour ourselves infinitely into the eyes of the Beloved and know we are home. But it was, it will, it does, it will always happen. Our responsibility is to show up, to create that bridge so that the Beloved can walk her beautiful steps across that starry sky. Our evolutionary impulse is reaching up into the heavens just as the Beloved is pouring herself, his self, itself down into us.
Salutations from home. It is 11.38 p.m. on August 20th, 2015, the day of Qi Shi, seven sevenths, the seventh day of the seventh moon. And for those of you numerologically inclined, 11.38 is 11.11, right? So 11.11 on seven sevenths. This does not mean we should all go out and drink Slurpees. Brain freeze is not conducive to the Magpie Bridge after all. I'm wrestling with the fantastic frustration of technical difficulties and when record finally worked here in the studio, then lawnmowers explode in the lawn next door. Some would suggest Mercury must be retrograde. But he is quite direct, and today is his day, Wednesday, Miercoles, Mercury's day. And he is in his sign, or she is in her sign, of Virgo, conjunct Juno, the asteroid goddess of love and relationships, and opposed to Chiron in Pisces. Chiron, the wounded healer, the sacred teacher, in that sign of healing and compassion. Compassion in love. Is this the love story, the story of Weaver Girl and Cowherder Boy? It's hard to say. One thing that it's not hard to say about this story at all is that it is certainly a story of the stars. If you look north tonight, or any time in the summer, you will find a gigantic triangle. It's an asterism formed by three constellations that the astronomers call the Summer Triangle. Made of Vega, the bright blue Vega of the constellation Lyre. Deneb, the tail of the swan Cygnus, and Aquila, the eagle's bright star. Altair. On each side of Altair we find two dimmer stars, and these are the twins because Altair is cowherder boy. Vega, who is on the other side of the Silver River, which we call the Milky Way, is Weaver Girl. And one day each year, today, the magpies fly to the heavens to create that bridge so the lovers can unite. So have a look at the sky tonight and see if the magpies fly up there for you. Elijah and I recorded this story on July 5th, 2015. And the theme astrologically was about this year's three Venus and Mars conjunctions and this year's three Venus and Jupiter conjunctions. And the deeper theme was a statement that the alchemists call salve et coagula, break apart and put back together. So in the next podcast episode with Gary Caton, we will be speaking much about that, the alchemy, and especially of the yin and the yang these three connections of Venus and Mars. But today I want to speak briefly about the three 2015 conjunctions of Venus and Jupiter. 
This has not happened. Longitudinal exact, zodiacal exact conjunctions between Venus and Jupiter since 1996 and will not happen again until 2036. And we will not have a th year with three Venus-Mars conjunctions and three Venus-Jupiter conjunctions again until 2060. It is a special year. This year also featured a Juno-Jupiter conjunction. Juno and Jupiter who were wife and husband, Hera and Zeus. That happened, I believe, on May 14th, 2015, in the 15th degree of Leo, where the second Venus-Mars conjunction will go down on August 31st. And we have not had a Venus-Jupiter conjunction since 2009, and we'll not have another one until 2022, I believe, maybe 2023. So there's so much charge right now about relationship and if you've been listening to the last podcast episodes i've been very focused on this idea of 2015 being a year that presents us with the opportunity to rewrite relationship to relationship itself now when we hear that word relationship we tend to go straight into partnerships of love but all is relationship. What is our relationship to spirit? This is the topic today. Venus and Jupiter. In the old systems, these were the two benefics, the two bright white lights, our guiding sources. Jupiter, your principal benefic if you're born during the day, and Venus if at night. So it's a big deal when they come together. It was a big deal for the astronomers as well, right? When we recorded this July 5th, it was just after the July 1st conjunction of Venus and Jupiter in Leo. And they were so latitudinally close as well. Astronomers tell us that they were as close as they have been in 2000 years and presented this possibility that this conjunction of Venus and Jupiter was the star of Bethlehem. Did you hear that? More important, did you see them? It was beautiful. And it was clearly, clearly two planets, right? Two bright lights in the sky. And the giggle I had to myself was a remembrance of what astronomers, modern scientists, think of the Magi, or the wise men. Because no wise man or woman would ever think that those two dots were one star. Even if they were more conjunct, then Venus would block Jupiter's light from us. Because she is closer and brighter, though he is so much bigger, Jupiter, the gigantic gas guru. <laughs> so large, in fact, that every other planet of our system can fit within Jupiter. So many of them called him the conductor of the celestial symphony. Shamanic astrology, the stock of my starry stew, looks to Jupiter 
as your dharma. That's an interesting perspective. And when I tap into the body's energetic systems, for me, and certainly not in all systems that have been presented, Jupiter represents crown chakra. It is that bringing in of the divine knowledge above. And I feel that when Jupiter is in his highest light, the image I get is that gigantic red storm is like the eye of the Father looking down upon us, reminding us that spirit always has our back. But it's Jupiter always in highest form. And I'll get right back to that. The glyphs of the planets tell us so much about them. Venus, we know her glyph. The circle of spirit over the cross of matter. The yin, the inhale, the feminine, about bringing spirit down here into this incarnational experience of Earth, whose glyph is the cross of matter inside the circle of spirit. Right, so we are told that we are human beings having a spiritual experience. And maybe this glyph reflects that. The glyph of Jupiter, many have confused it to say it's the number four, or the numbers two and one. But what it is actually is the crescent of consciousness over the cross of matter. So perhaps when these two align, we are consciously open to bringing spirit into matter. And this perhaps is this goal of Magpie Bridge. This tongue at the roof of the mouth connecting head to heart, as Elijah told us. He also said, speak as if you're amplified and everyone can hear you because they can. And looking into the chakra systems more and more now, this is the goal of the throat, right? To connect mind to heart. So many systems are saying, turn off your mind and open your heart. But aren't we also told that the mind is a terrible thing to waste? And in a podcast devoted to great Mercury and speaking on his day, let us not turn off our mind, our consciousness, but let us connect it to the heart so our language is felt and we can speak our truth. You know, Venus and Jupiter mythologically is a very interesting study. He adopted her when he became king of kings, we are told, after dethroning his father, Saturn. And that's pretty interesting because, in a sense, Venus is Jupiter's aunt. So what kind of nonsense is this for Jupiter to adopt Venus? He then married her off to Hephaestus, a man she did not love. The goddess of love and beauty married off to one she did not love in the only one of the gods we were told in those myths that is not of perfect, beautiful form. And so she ended up sneaking around with Mars and Venus, Aphrodite, 
did not limit herself to love from one partner. So maybe there is some difficulty in their conversation. You see what I'm saying? And maybe they're having the opportunity to work some of that out in this year that is so focused on relationships. And so I love that Mercury is aligned to Do You Know the Asteroid Goddess of Relationship today as I'm recording this rap. The relationship between Juno and Jupiter was not so sound either. I mean, he loved to run around and she, in the myths that survive, which all praises to Hera are most not likely her true stories, but in the myths that survive, she was kind of a crazy codependent, jealous wife, you know, who had his lovers chased out of town by dragons or turned them into pigs and cows and this. And so we, most of us, I shouldn't say we all, but most of us have had experiences of jealousy, of heartache, of pain, of some deception, some deceit in our loving experiences here in the Earth game. Most of us also have cultivated a connection to our evolution through that heartbreak. The broken heart is kind of a silly term, is it not? The heart is working overtime when we find ourselves in that circumstance. So there are these themes this year, and I'm really devoting myself to Venus, to the goddess of love, to engage with her teachings. And in my own cycle is a sacred time for Venus. I'm in what's called a Venus synodic return. And the synodic Venus dance of 19 months just began on August 15th, 2015. Some would suggest it actually begins on August 22nd here this Friday on Venus's day. And she's engaging with an investigation of the Leo archetype. Now I woke up on August 15th after having decided I was not gonna hold a group which was a plan for these 19 months at my home and suddenly thought, well, I have to honor this and I'm creating a whole world group, a Facebook group, and so that has been done and it's called the 13th Flower. Well, the Facebook group is called the Sovereign Scepter of the Lioness and what it's gonna be is free teachings and sharings and collaborations with wonderful musicians, especially Maria Stark, artists, interviews with astrologers and healers from all walks of the way. So I would love for you to participate in this 19-month dance, which is one of healing, a return to love through a reassemblage, a release, return, recreation. If you would like to join, go to my website, morethanastrology.com, scroll down past the storytelling podcast episodes and you will see the 13th Flower Venus group with links to the Facebook public group, please join, with links to a YouTube playlist for videos I'll be posting throughout the course of these 19 months and SoundCloud playlist where I will post the kind of specific 13th flower Venus devoted audio interviews and such. 
Yesterday morning, I had the great joy to interview Adam Gainsberg, an incredible sky astrologer and author of The Light of Venus. So I look forward to posting that very soon, and I hope you'll join this group and join us for the journey. The sovereign scepter of the lioness. You know, feeling into the story when I told it last night, it was really interesting because you can hear me trying to justify this queen who it would seem is just trying to keep her daughter from true love. And so I add my bit and probably my bias to these stories as I tell them, right? What is it to be that queen who needs to commit herself to the order of things, even though it might be opposed to what her heart truly wishes? But wouldn't the Magpie Bridge allow us to find that spiritual truth that what the heart wishes is queen, is king, and perhaps Venus in this 19-month dance through the Leo Mysteries is here to retrieve that sovereign scepter that allows the heart to be the ruler. We shall see. This is my intent and my own journey for this cycle anyway. So the Venus and Mars three conjunctions and this idea of solve et coagula which if you heard the Rapunzel podcast, the last episode, I go into a little bit and again when I interview the great Gary Caton for the next We Will Journey Deep into his wisdom about that and his research about the Venus-Mars alignments over great periods of history and what that has to do with us. But these Venus and Jupiter alignments in this year of 2015 are fascinating, right? Because in a sense, I feel this is our spiritual self, that inhale of source best represented by the yin energies, the feminine energies, the down and in Venus between us and the sun, taking that source, that flame of creation that the sun represents and magnetizing it so we can experience it here. And then on the other side, Mars, the yang, breathes it out, the exhale. But what is Jupiter's role? Over time, some have suggested that this is religion, this is spirituality, this is wealth, and that it's a very social planet. It's not a personal psychological planet, it's how we participate in tribe. But Venus is very personal. To me, the planet of our heart. So with her at heart and Jupiter at crown, then the magpie bridge brings those two together at the throat. And this is Mercury. Their first conjunction, and I speak of Venus and Jupiter, was on July 1st. Although June 30th was the time to see it in its greatest glory in the sky, it was in the 22nd degree of Leo. Venus then went retrograde on July 25th and came back to make another conjunction 
with Jupiter at the 29th degree of Leo on August 4th. And speaking of connecting that crown to the heart through the throat, perhaps Mercury and communication and consciousness came in between the two of them on August 6th. It was a really wonderful contemplation, but it was not seen not in these really far northern latitudes anyway. They were too close to the sun, they were moving under the beams. And it was an interesting conjunction, that so-called Star of Bethlehem on July 1st, featuring Venus and Jupiter side by side. This was not the case on August 4th. Unseen and latitudinally far apart. And also squaring Saturn in Scorpio. So I don't want to get us too lost in the astrological implications thereof, but to suggest that that second conjunction was not quite as heavenly. There's some tension here. Maybe this is this conversation between Venus and Jupiter. Hey buddy, I'm your aunt. <laughs> and Mercury coming in here in some ways as mediator. And what is Saturn and Scorpio? asking us to retrieve that true magic of our heart in this tense alignment of the square, I have to say about that. And how does this charge Venus for her entrance into these 19-month pursuit of the Leo mysteries? These are the questions that I've been contemplating. And Venus and Jupiter will come back together on October 25th in the 16th degree of Virgo, shortly before the third Venus-Mars conjunction of this year on November 2nd, and then on November 11th, the North Node will shift into Virgo from Libra, where it's been all the way since February 17th, 2014. And so this time of Valentine's Day comes in again. So there's been this relationship focus for some time now, as the North Node often represents the forward direction of con collective consciousness, what is the calling of us all? A focus on Libra, a focus on relationship. And now in this year of rewriting our relationship to relationship itself, all of these last alignments happen in the sign of Virgo. And Jupiter, who is the year planet, the year king he's been called because he spends about a year in every sign on August 8th, 2015. Jupiter having spent about 13 months in the sign of Leo, ingressed into Virgo, where he will be also for about 13 months. Some have suggested actually that because Jupiter's on average in a sign each month, this is where the Chinese calendar comes from. This shift of Jupiter from Leo to Virgo is very interesting from fire to earth, from yang to yin, from service to self-growth to service to spirit. There is much Virgo energy opening up for us and it will ask us what is our devotion? What is our yoga? Which isn't to say touching our toes every day that we probably should, and I'm speaking to myself, but my yoga, my practice, is getting out under the sky, speaking with the planets, 
recording these podcast episodes and the videos I put up and my service through my astrological consultations and such, right? So what is our devotion? What is our yoga? What is our practice? This becomes a great focus this year. And given that all of these alignments end in Virgo, it's very interesting to me. Virgo, the virgin, the priestess, and someone to say, not necessarily a relationship archetype, but it is a imperative relationship archetype because this is our relationship to spirit. And I feel that we are in a time with these Venus and Jupiter conjunctions so close together for the first, far apart for the second and hidden and square Saturn, and then so close together for the third, this time of break apart and put back together Solve and Coagula. Can we allow ourselves to lose what we believe our connection to spirit is so that a higher connection can come in? Is this perhaps what these three conjunctions are leading us into? Yukteswar, who was Yogananda's teacher, said the only honor a man can pay his God is to seek him. And Virgo would remind us to restate this, the only honor a woman can pay her goddess is to seek her and all variations thereof. It's a very Virgo statement. That. And what is it to seek? And what is this Virgo calling that is opening up for all of us? And what is it that it's begun in Leo, this cultivation of self-love and sovereignty, and then moving into this place of what is sacred? What is the devotion? I like to say seeking is not believing. So many times we have to destroy our belief systems that were cultured into us perhaps so that we can open ourselves to receiving that divine grace. Elijah in that beautiful sharing said, we don't know when grace will fall upon us, but it will always happen. Our responsibility is to show up, to create that bridge. You know, I always rejected channeled information and I still have a lot of that bias. But one channel I have not been able to deny because his message is so pure, much of it for me anyway, is that of Bashar, right? He is a very interesting fellow channeled through Daryl Anka. And what I love about him, very much in Scorpio fashion, his truest message is follow your highest excitement to your greatest ability with no expectations until something more exciting comes in and then do that. And I love that, right? This is this very kind of Leo, Scorpio energy there. And it's important. So I often ask my clients, what is your highest excitement? And so often we don't know why it seems because we have muted our heart in fearing the expressions of our desires or our so-called negative emotions in this we mute that true command center of the higher self that speaks to us through our heart and then we lose the voice 
that loud voice of our highest excitement that always guides us forward. So perhaps connecting this magpie bridge will allow that heart's voice to align us to higher self, to spirit, so we can follow our heart and follow our passions without reserve. So Bashar, who also claims that he is a hybrid extraterrestrial human from 2,700 years into the future, and yes, that's pretty far out, but seeking is not believing after all. He says that many species from around the universe have their eye on Earth because they can't understand how we have achieved the impossible. We have actually managed to convince ourselves that we are not spirit, that we are not intimately connected to spirit. Elijah said that beautiful thing about us each being a diamond, an individual facet, but all reflecting the totality. So Bashar talks about folks watching us and saying, how did they lose that gnosis? This is automatic. And what a beautiful investigation, because when you lose that connection to spirit, once you seek and return to it, and realize that you have accomplished the impossible, then of course you'll know you can do anything. I love that perspective. So what is this return to grace? How can we do this? There's a book I recommend often that really changed my life. It's called Praying with Power by Jose Luis Stevens of The Power Path. His wife is an incredible astrologer who writes new moon and full moon reports often. I try not to read them because I find that often I'm so attracted to her information that it keeps my own from spilling forth. You know, when I'm writing songs, for example, too, I don't listen to music because I want to make sure the music is coming from me. But this book, Praying with Power, it's very interesting. This man was raised in the Catholic tradition and had to walk away from that, and he pushed prayer and this idea of God away. It's I just pushed my water bottle over, which I'm sure you heard. Always stay tuned to the subtle signs. If your water bottle spills, you're meant to have a sip. So then he returned to spirit, but more in a shamanic way. And this book, Praying with Power, speaks about that shamanic prayer and the prayer of I am. How can we know that we ourselves are creator if we put all of that spiritual force without? How do we bring it within? And not only let the sun shine on us, but through us to bring that fire from the heavens into the fire of our hara, of our cauldron, and to be in service to that fire. So what is our prayer? This is a difficult word so often because it feels so religioso, you know? So reclaiming that word for me has been an, an important part of my own path. I honor your path, it's not mine. 
But if this sounds interesting, check that book out. And if, even if you don't, if you're gonna create something, if you're gonna manifest something, and this is the true role of the sovereign creator, it is very helpful to speak that. And I believe this is that role of throat chakra to connect crown, third eye to heart, the role of the magpie bridge to connect head and heart, the role of Mercury to connect Jupiter and Venus, perhaps. How can we speak even daily what it is that we are honorably manifesting into our lives? How can we get so in touch with our devotion that we know exactly how to voice that. So the stream we choose as we float and even boat upon this river of life will reflect our highest self. Our heart and our grace. We don't know when grace will fall upon us, but it will always happen, Elijah said, and I love that. And my dear friend Tamara is another great teacher of this essence of prayer to me. And the first thing she told me about this is, prayer happens when you listen. You know, the greatest prayer has no words. It's not about the mouth, it's about the ears. And that's opening ourselves to allowing grace to fall in, you see. Stating our devotion, having this daily mantra of just what it is that we are here to create, knowing our service, knowing our dharma, so that we can consciously walk our path is a beautiful thing. But there's something about opening ourselves to that guidance, that grace, whether it's from higher self or spirit or God or goddess or whatever you want to call that. And I love this word grace to encompass that all. This requires that silence, that stillness and that listening and that awareness and that attention to the subtleties, to the synchronicities that guide us home. On my path, most of my life, I have thought astrology was utter nonsense. But when I finally followed the synchronicities that allowed me to relax my bias, having come from the religion of science, it fell in. And then I realized, wait a second, I wanted to be an astronaut. I studied astronomy, aeronautical engineering, traveling musician. I wanted to be a star. This is my home. How did I not see it all along? But it took that stillness and that question of what am I? Who am I? How am I meant to serve? And it didn't come in for a long time when I was asking that question. This question that others ask me so often because this is now a great facet of my service is to help people align themselves to their dharma, to their highest calling, because what a blessing when something that we love becomes what we do. This is the world that we all 
wish to manifest, to be showered in abundance for simply following our truth and our heart. And this comes our way, this world will come. Oh, let me see what the date is again. Oh, right, it's not on the calendar. This will happen when we make it happen. So as we release ourselves from punching others' clocks and etc., if that's not what our heart wishes, and sometimes it is and that's okay and beautiful, but as we align ourselves to following our true passion, then we open ourselves to being showered in abundance for that. And this is another Bashar thing. Although do I, I forget his phrase, but oh, okay, abundance is having exactly what you need to do, what you need to do, when you need to do it, and that's it. In our systems, we're so focused on finance as the only source of abundance. And sure, we need to pay the bills and eat and whatnot, but when we lose our focus to greater abundance, simply thinking that it's only money, I mean, what about love? What about guidance? What about carrots and kale and such, right? So when we honor that abundance is not only money, it is much easier for us to release the cultural conditioning that says the passion of our heart, what we truly wish to, to give in our service following our Dharma, it's much easier. We can face that fear of not being able to pay the bills and whatnot. And that's a great fear for most of us. It sure is for me. I mean, I left a so-called real job to be an astrologer. Are you serious? What does my mom think? But this is my real job because it's my real love. It is my real service. And as I devote myself to it, I am showered in so much abundance, even if it's just a wall of notes and cards from clients, you know, that make my heart smile. And so I spend a lot of time creating these podcasts and videos and stuff. My friend Mario once suggested that I clock the hours that I'm spending on following this work of my passion. And <laughs> My immediate response, and it remains solid to this day, is that would be a really tough idea for me. Because I don't even want to know, waking up at 8 a.m. yesterday to interview Adam Gainsbourg and being up till 4 a.m. to record the story that you listened at the beginning of this thing. But I love every moment of it. And my devotion is opening myself to that grace to speak through me. It's a very difficult thing, right? Wanting to be on that stage, wanting to be heard, following how many likes on Facebook my most recent post has received. All of this, should I use the chart to post a thing so it is a very benefic time for others to hear my message? Well, you know, that's not grace. That's the part of me that would get in the way. So reconnecting that magpie bridge is also a release of the cultural mind that needs, in a sense, to be seen. Because frankly, 
I would speak this to the wall. <laughs> I do every day, and I guess I am right now, though there's a microphone between me and it. So when we align ourselves to our devotion, to our dharma, to the true calling of our heart, we will receive abundance and we do create the world where abundance is showered upon all who follow their heart. But then the questions we must ask, of course, this is the one we always hear for some reason, who will pave the roads? <laughs> it's a strange go-to place. But what about who will weave the heavens? And a weaver girl must weave. These are not words from the story, but one I kept putting in, and it's very interesting, you know, does this show some of my cultural bias of what we are taught to believe China is? And perhaps a lot of the pain in China, the factory workers and such, but let's not believe that's because of China alone, right? How many things in our homes say made in China on it? This is a wonderful thing about coming into to tea spirit because now made in China has become a, a very beautiful thing in many essences and I found myself I remember a while ago I was looking for the perfect ceremony blanket you know that totally shanti you know each thread made with a prayer or something by some person who was doing it in the old ways and was being absolutely honored for their gift but I was all scratchy all the time, so I ended up getting this soft thing from you know the store down the road. And then spend a lot of time in meditations under that blanket, like thanking the hands of the worker who chose that path perhaps on a soul level. I have to honor that contemplation, which is such a difficult path. But is that a path of enlightenment? Even is it a stronger path? You know, in some of the caste systems, it's suggested that the lowest caste, the untouchables, you don't have to think about them because they won't find enlightenment. Okay, but perhaps they are the ones that are just there. Having chose a life where their focus is very strongly on the evolutionary challenges to catalyze their growth here in the Earth game. So, I mean, thinking about caste systems and these different opportunities that it would seem each of us are born into. Is this a karma thing? Is this a dharma thing? It is such a trip. It's difficult to ask those questions without the pain of the compassionate heart for others. And these, I feel, are these great questions that are open for us now. And in these times of asking these difficult questions, cultivating that true stillness and that inner connection, that magpie bridge, so that we can have some guidance from grace to hold our hearts in this pain that we feel for others, sometimes more than we feel for ourselves. Is that the way through, a way to understanding, or better yet, overstanding? Is this perhaps this call 
of the Virgo energy that is opening in such a beautiful way. Jupiter coming in from one side on August 8th and the North Node from the other on November 2nd, shortly after the Council of Venus and Mars and Jupiter will all meet there in the morning sky. And it's like Mercury and Juno right now huddled together today are, are paving the way, sending our consciousness, Mercury, to love Juno, retrieving the truth of the heart, perhaps releasing the pain, the wounds, the scar tissue, the jealousy, the possession, the guilt and shame. What a quest that is. And that is the quest of the sovereign scepter of the lioness. So please join this 19-month journey. It has begun already, and you will find videos at the YouTube playlist and audios at the SoundCloud playlist already. Again, you can find links to those and to the Facebook group, The Sovereign Scepter of Lioness, on my website's homepage, morethanastrology.com. Just scroll down till you see 13th flower. And speaking of websites, you can find Elijah, who you heard speak and you're hearing him now on handpan at onedoorland.com. That's also a great place for you to find Water Drops, whose song we will hear at the end here, a song that she improvised during the talk that Elijah and I gave together and has since just last night recorded a version for me to use here. And you can find Moss, whose music, the storytelling was spoken over at masaruhagasa.com. M-A-S-A-R-U-H-I-G-A-S-A dot com. And I should say Wonderland is O-N-E-D-O-O-R-L-A-N-D dot com. I speak about Wonderland often because it's an amazing place and we'll have visitations frequently from their many high magicians down there. All right, enough for now. A very happy she-she to you. May we serve this connection of heart and grace through honoring the magpie bridge that connects the as above to the soul below. This is your friendly astronaut, Gemini Brett, signing off. Thank you for tuning in to the Storytelling Podcast Show. I will see you in space.